0: Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that there is no one like you. John says, how great is the love of God the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. But God, we confess to you that we often don't feel like we're children of you. There are so many voices, so many forces, so many circumstances that that harden our hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would break through the callousness and the scar tissue of our hearts and that you would break open the darkness and the clouds that often keep us from seeing how beloved we are. God, use your word this morning to do that, even for this young man here. We pray for him. Lord, bless him and bless us as well. Meet with us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to faith into our series on Paul's epistle to the Galatians where he is seeking to encourage the church of Galatia to guard the good news uh, because they were so quickly deserting it. Uh, We found that there were great cultural forces that were pressing down upon the Galatians uh, that even the apostle Peter and Barnabas had uh, had left the gospel that God had called them to Uh, these forces by the way. Uh, were part of the growth that was taking place in the early church where more and more Gentile converts were coming into uh, the community of faith and the Jewish Christians uh, were learning or having to learn what it meant to become a minority as many of the Gentiles were outgrowing and outpacing the Jewish uh, believers and so there was a rise of these Judaizers that attempted to like let's contain this growth and let's 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 get back to the roots let's, we don't want to lose our history as a as a church and our all of the Jewish history and so uh, there was a rise to have people conform to the laws, the ceremonial laws, circumcision and Paul says, "You foolish Galatians, you know how did you leave the the one that called you by his grace? Uh, one of the examples that the that we have heard is that Paul uh, raises Abraham as the 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 man of faith who, because he believed it was credited to him, it was declared that he was righteous. And he gives that as the precedent for the Gentile believers. You see, God was working through faith to save his people for, for thousands of years. It's always been by faith, and Abraham is a great model for that. But you see, the Jewish people... Uh, they were the chosen ones who were to go into the world, to serve the world, to show them the Savior, but instead of using that as a means of service and thanksgiving, they used it as a means of ethnic pride and separated themselves from the world and, and uh, became a means of nationalism and racism and prejudice. And so Paul is emphasizing over and over again that they are the children of God, that in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And so last week we saw that Pastor Stan showed us how this radical gospel of grace uh, creates for us a radical unity in the body. There's no partiality, there's no second-class citizens. Uh, We are all one. But then we'll find here that the radical gospel creates for us radical intimacy uh, with God. Let's look at uh, passage 3 of Galatians 3, starting with verse 26. Let's stand together as we just review this as we move into chapter 4. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ... Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then, all, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now... That you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to once, uh, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. What has happened to your joy? Uh, that is a question that, that Paul addressed to the Galatians a few, a few verses later. Because, he, because they became enslaved to these elementary principles, uh, they had lost a sense of the gospel, and with that, they lost a sense of joy. Uh, our culture is struggling with a loss of joy. Research findings presented in the Journal of Social Indicators last year said that Americans appear to be more depressed now than they have been in years past. It said that researchers examined data from about 7 million teens and adults in the U.S. and found that contemporary Americans report more symptoms of depression that affect the body, such as trouble sleeping, concentrating, than people typically did in the 1980s, and as I even Express that. I know that this is not just statistics, this is personal experiences for many of us, even here. If Paul were here, he might say that what people Google for reveals a source or possibly a symptom of this depression or loss of joy. Last week, the New York Times, uh, in the article Googling for God by Seth Stevens Dowitz, he said, It has been a bad decade for God, at least so far. Searches for churches are down 15% in this decade, while porn searches are up 83%. Today, it is pretty clear that Jesus does not get the most attention, at least online. There are 4.7 million searches every year for Jesus Christ. The Pope gets 2.95 million, and there are 49 million for Kim Kardashian. And uh, they did a similar thing in the social media with Facebook and, and it came out basically the same. It said this is hardly definitive proof that Kim Kardashian is more popular than Jesus or Pope Francis or that this country now worships at the altar of the Kardashians, but the differences are nonetheless striking. Uh, this sermon might be making you even more depressed right now. Now Paul Paul talks elsewhere, that there's a drift, there's a drive for people to worship created things rather than the creator. Why do people like Kim Kardashian so much? Well, one blogger says, because she's attractive, and in our culture we replace gods and kings with attractive and outlandish celebrities. The wonders and the mysteries of creation, of image bearers, of beauty and sex, were not designed to bear the weight or to replace the one who made the wonders and the mysteries of beauty and sex. So instead of thanking and worshiping the creator who frees us, we tend to worship and idolize the created things that enslave us and that depresses us. Paul alludes to this reality when he talks in verse 9 about the Galatians turning back to those weak and miserable principles and says, Do you wish to be enslaved by them? All over again, and in this passage, uh, we find that Paul reminds us that God did not just give us uh, a fight for this gospel drift through just strong convictions or doctrinal affirmations about our salvation. God has given us something to fuel and to strengthen our heart and our emotions and the experience of salvation that we have in Christ. And here Paul shows us that this radical gospel creates a radical intimacy and affection with God, for God. Here Paul reminds us that we have the spirit of sonship, we have the language of sonship, and we have the inheritance of sonship. We have the spirit of sonship. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts uh, Tim Keller says, and I'll be using a lot of this material really, I give credit to Tim Keller he, in his book on Galatians and in a sermon that he preached. This is just, uh, he, it was just excellent. But he said, we reach the climax of everything that Paul, about the gospel, uh, about, uh, about everything of Paul and the gospel that, in these words. It will take a lifetime to appreciate these spiritual realities and an eternity to enjoy them. And he, there's Sinclair for existence. Ferguson, he said this, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. And so in verse 4 to 6, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son into the world to redeem those under the law that we might become sons, to be adopted As sons, And because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now, there's two activities that Paul brings out in this passage about what God is doing in our salvation process. He sends this son into the world to redeem us and to adopt us. Uh, So there's, and this word adoption, by the way, means to have full rights. In the NIV, it says the full rights of sons. And it's a single word, sonness. It could mean sonship. In the Roman world, there was a legal transaction that took place often with wealthy landowners that maybe did not have any offspring, there's no children to have their inheritance, and they would adopt a son, and in the process of that adoption, that landowner, that wealthy landowner would assume all the debts of that son, that adopted son, and that son would receive all of the wealth of the landowner, the wealthy landowner, that, That was a a common occurrence. And and so we find here this imagery of being adopted. Uh, Most understand that when we trust Christ, that he gets our sin and we get his righteousness, right? There's that great exchange that we think about, and that is an amazing, wonderful thing. But there's something more that happens, something more legally that, happens that we often don't think enough about, and that is that we have legally been adopted as sons and daughters of God. There's been a great exchange in that way. There's been, we have become his children. He takes on all of our debt, but we get all of his wealth. <laughs> we have his inheritance. You see, this is just an amazing thing, and Paul brings it out in this remarkable parallel in these verses. God sends his son into the world to give the status of sonship, the legal objective status of sonship, but God sends the spirit into our hearts to give us the experience of sonship, the subjective experience of of sonship. We already have that status as sons. That's what happens outside, that Jesus was sent into the world to take care of our sins. But the Spirit comes to deal with the inside of us. To give us that experience of being sons and daughters of God. And so there's this subjective working of the Spirit into our hearts. It creates an emotional experience. It's the Spirit's job to make us feel like we're sons and daughters. Now, we need that experience. By the way, Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, there's a a command to actually engage our hearts to taste the goodness of God. And so, God did not only make us a people who confess the truth and embrace the truth and know the truth. God wants us to experience the truth. He wants us to sense the truth. He wants us to know his peace and his joy and his love. God did not make us just to have cognitive functions. He did not make us Vulcans like Spock who could not feel anything. He made us with feelings and emotions. We Yes, feelings need to be grounded and ordered in the facts and the truths of God. And we must be careful not to allow our feelings to determine truth because our hearts are very disoriented and deceptive. But the heart that is anchored into the living truths of God is a heart that feels very deeply about these things. In Psalm 119, the psalm says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. There are these experiences, these affections for God and for God's word. My soul is consumed with longing for your word all the time. I run in the path of your commands because you have set my heart free. There's a there's an energy, there's an emotively strong ex- response. You know, we were made for intoxication. And you know, God made us to be intoxicated. Yes. <laughs> Ephesians 5, you know, he says, "Don't get drunk with wine. Don't get intoxicated With wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, he's showing what you need to be filled with, what you need to be intoxicated with, what you were designed for, you see, because these other things that seek our intoxication, create things, will not fill that void that only God can fill. But, you know, as Presbyterians, Some of us, this is somewhat difficult to have and express these feelings. You know, last week, uh, Daniel Brown exhibited a worship dance in the sanctuary, and she was all out. She was fully celebrating. Her whole body was all in it. And it's true that probably for some of us, this is unusual in worship, and we maybe have felt a little bit uncomfortable You know, we come from more reserved traditions. We celebrate in our hearts. (laughs) You know, the worship of God in Deuteronomy 6 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know, Jesus repeated that command. And so we see in Psalm 149, Let them praise his name with dancing. Psalm 50, praise him with tambourine and dance. You know, in 2 Samuel, David is wearing this linen ephod, and, and, the, and the Ark of the Covenant is coming into uh, Jerusalem, and he is ecstatic, and he's dancing before the Lord, says, with all of his might. And uh, there's shouts, and he comes into the city of David, and his wife Micah was despising him. You know, he was a vulgar fellow, Uh, Just humiliating himself. David's leaping and dancing with all of his might. And David said to Michael, "I. It was before the Lord who chose me, and I will make merry before the Lord, or I will therefore I will play before the Lord." And uh, and he did. He was full. He was all in. He was all there. You know, and that that is. A beautiful thing when a person has a pure experience of just celebration with their whole might and all of their their energies before God. You know, I can remember in the four year someone who visited our church said, "Are you a charismatic church?" And I thought about well, charismatic means you know, uh, it's about the gifts of the Spirit, and and I said, well, you know, I would like to think that we have this Holy Spirit here. I, I would like to think that we're a spirit-filled church. I didn't answer a question directly. But a spirit-filled church is a church that experiences the salvation that we have. It is a, a church that experiences the joy and the energy of that salvation. You know, loss of joy is a chief mark that we have lost the sense of the good news that we have. And so God not only wants us to have the convictions of the gospel, he wants us to have the heart and the feeling and the experience of the gospel. The radical gospel results in a radical intimacy with God. And it is the Spirit's job to help us to appropriate the sonship subjectively into our hearts Sinclair Ferguson, he talks about Luke 15, the prodigal son, uh, and how the prodigal son often reveals our own difficulties in accepting the realities of our sonship and how beloved we are. And so the son comes back and he says, Father, I'm not worthy of being called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And this is what Sinclair says. Jesus was underlining the fact that the reality of the love of God for us is often the last thing in the world to dawn on us. As we fix our eyes upon ourselves, our past failures, our present guilt, it seems impossible to us that the Father should love us. Many Christians go through much of their life with a prodigal suspicion. Their, con- their concentration is all their, on all their thoughts and failures. We say, I am not worthy to be God's son, but perhaps... I can struggle through as one of the hired servants. We would prefer an employee-boss relationship. At the root of such thinking is our inability to believe that salvation is entirely of God's grace and love. We contribute nothing to it. We can do nothing to earn it. We are often slow to realize the implications. We are sons, but we are always in danger of having the mindset of hired servants. You know, it's all around us. This is the, the ocean that we swim in? You know, how do you know that you have lost the sense of this good news in your own heart, the sense of that you are forgiven and you're beloved? Do you struggle with criticism? Do you often struggle feeling like a failure? Do you compare yourself with others? Are you feeling jealous? Do you have struggle with unforgiveness and bitterness and self-doubt? Well, those are all Expressions of an orphan orientation, that you're really not totally beloved by the Father. You're back into a performance mode, you know, and it's all around us. I, I remember seeing a commercial last week in the watching the football, the Ravens, that they were advertising a CBS new series called uh, Limit, Limitless. And it, it, it's about uh, this mind expanding drug that allows you to remember everything. You have a photographic instant recall of everything that you've ever learned, and you can calculate and do all these marvelous things. And and I'll never forget the line in this advertisement as this man is getting this pill. He says, are you ready to be somebody that matters? (laughs) Are you ready to be somebody that matters? Take this pill and be great. Do something extraordinary. Well, that is the world that we live in, you see. We need to do something to be somebody that matters in this world. We have to perform. But the gospel is that we have become somebody through the love of God. That he has made us somebody. We didn't make ourselves to be somebody. He made us Somebody's. And it was his extraordinary act of grace that he reclaims us. And we have got to fight for that reality. And so we find that this, this experience of sonship is something that we have to fight for. And so God sends the Spirit into our hearts to bring us into that deep spiritual reality. Yesterday, uh, there was a, a great cookout uh, celebration in the Penn Lucy community. Uh, the youths all came together, and, and uh, there were. Uh, there's, there's one youth that got a medallion from playing basketball, and there was a football, flag football going on. But the leader that had organized this event had an opportunity to, to meet with him and talk to him. And he started to just tell me what he thought about our director of youth ministries, Blake Scheidt. He says, you know, I moved back into the community, he says, when I moved back into the community, you know, I didn't know who this guy was. I saw this white dude walking around, you know. So what's he up to? And then he saw the youths in the community responding, hey, Mr. Blake, and he recognized that this young white dude had gotten respect because of his, his integrity and his service and his character and his love for the youths of this community. And uh, he says, that white dude's got guts. Actually, he used another terminology. <laughs> I'm not going to say here. But that white dude's got guts. He's, you know, and he's just very impressed with, with uh, Mr. Blake. But I can tell you that the reason that Mr. Blake has a gutsy gospel cor- courage is because he pursues the reality that he is a beloved son and that he is free to love and he's free to give and, and he fights for that. And, and I, that happens with many of us here. But we find not only that we have the spirit of sonship, but we'd be given this language of sonship, crying, Abba, Father. You know, the, the spirit gives us the language. He gives us this intimate expression, and this was the same phrase phrase that Jesus used as he was talking to his father. He called his father, Abba, which is a very intimate term. It was unusual in the Old Testament, but it's virtually this intimate, familiar term, Daddy. And Jesus is calling his own father with that intimate, familiar term. But this spirit of sonship that has been given to believers, we, Can cry out with that same intimate, familiar language. This is a radical thing. It's unbelievable that we could actually call God, Father, Daddy. Okay, in Islamic faith, that is ridiculous. But we have a God who wants that intimacy with us. Scholar Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, He spoke to God as a child to the Father confidently, securely, and yet at the same time reverently and obediently. At the heart of Jesus' mission to attack and destroy the forces of evil lies, the sure knowledge of the Father as Abba. From the treasures of that relationship, we have the power to face sin and evil. You know how important it is that we experience... And and pressed to experience that intimacy with the father. There is a illustration that David uh, Martin Lloyd Jones gave about a dad who's walking down the path, uh, holding his son's hand, Uh, and his son knows that his dad loves him. Uh, He knows that he's secure in that love. He is walking down the path, holding his son's hand, but but something changes when that father just spontaneously picks up his son into his arms gives him this big hug and kisses him and puts him down. And and his experience has changed from just the knowledge that he's a beloved son to the experience. And that's what the Spirit does for us. And it's an interesting thing that in the prodigal son, when the father is longing for his rebellious son to repent and to return home, he is looking down the path far away, and he sees his son approaching, his rebellious son who is now humbled by his sin. And the father runs to him. And then the father embraces and it says, and he kissed him. And, and uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote a whole sermon on this one phrase, and he kissed him. And uh, he, said, he said, the father kissed his son much to make him quite certain that it was all real. The prodigal, in receiving these many kisses, might say to himself, All this love must be true. For a little while ago I heard the hogs grunt, and now I hear nothing but the kisses from my dear father's lips. So the father gave him another kiss, for there was no better way of convincing him that the first one was real than by repeating it. And if there lingered any doubt about the second, the father gave him yet a third. (laughs) That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives us this experience of sonship. You know, I, my dad, uh, our whole family kind of came to, to the Lord when I was uh, about 15 years old in high school. And my dad was like a lot of men. There, was, there wasn't a lot of affections. I, I could never remember actually being hugged by my dad, you know, before then. But there was like a, a transformation that took place and, and I, w- I can remember the very first time that I decided, I was going away to college and I gave my dad a hug. I, that was the first time I remember it actually. And my dad hugged me back. And I said, I'll never see my dad again without giving him a hug. And so every time you know, I see my dad, you know, I, we greet with a hug, we end with a hug. And you know, what a a wonderful thing is to be hugged by a father that loves you. And I know as I speak those words that there's a great father wound that exists in so many hearts because they never had a dad who loved them like that, never had a dad that embraced them like that. Some of us have had dads that were never there. Some of us have had abusive dads. But I will tell you, in Christ, you have a father that is madly in love with you. He is so proud of you. He picks you up and he kisses you through the Spirit. He loves you. You know, in the body of Christ, when Paul, when Paul says, you know, greet one another the holy kiss, he's creating the sense of family, encouragement, that we show signs of the affections of the father to one another, pure signs of affection. Uh, you know, Jesus said that if you, know, if, you, if you come to me, I give you many fathers and brothers and sisters and mothers. And so it's so important for us to encourage each other in that father love. You have a perfect dad who is crazy about you. But the final thing is that we have the inheritance of sonship. You are no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then also an heir through God. And so he talks about that, you know, we're all sons and that we're all heirs. And we're not just children of God in some general sense. Of course, everyone that's created in the image of God are children, but he's talking very specifically that you are heirs, you are adopted sons, you have been given the rights of sonship. And I want to speak right now to. Uh, my women friends and who are, they say, you know, I've been hearing about sonship, but what about daughtership? You know, what's up with, you know, how come Paul didn't talk about daughtership? You know, why? Well, here's the deal. Don't take offense that you've been called sons. because see, that's what Paul says. You're all sons. You, whether you're Jew or Greek, male or free, slave or, you know, all of those, every, everybody who believes in Christ is called a son of God, son of Abraham. You have full rights. And unfortunately, the NIV 2011 edition changed this phrase to say, you are all children of God. They just kind of wanted to be generic. But they missed something very radical and revolutionary in what Paul was getting at, because in that culture, daughters weren't given inheritance. It was all given to the son of the firstborn. You see, and this full rights of sonship mean that as a child of God, I have the full privileges. I have everything. So when the gospel says all sons of God in Christ, he is referring to you have sonship status. Women, you have sonship, full right status. You know, the scriptures also tell guys that they're part of the bride of Christ. You know, they talk to the church. So guys are uh, assuming a female role in that way, that we're all part of Christ's bride. But in this context, uh, women are assuming a sonship role as inheritors of, of, of God's grace and glory. So God is very egalitarian when it comes to dignifying both genders. And by the way, uh, it's a beautiful picture in Numbers 27 uh, that we see this picture of the gospel with the Zelophehad's daughters. Uh, His dad had these daughters. And he had no sons, and the daughters weren't married. And so the father died. What, what happens with the property? And so the had's daughters came to Moses, and they appealed to, to Moses that really that property of their dad should come to them. They're the daughters. They're the right, the right recipients of it. And actually, this is what God says. He says... What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father inheritance over them. That, That is so revolutionary. That is so revolutionary in that society. And God gives us a picture of that beautiful gospel. This inheritance, so what is it? You know, Peter talks about that we have been... given a new birth into a living hope, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. You have this inheritance. Um, And Peter says, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. There is like a sure future wealth that exists for you that cannot be diminished, it can't be rusted, it can't be stolen, it is secure, and it is all there. Um but how do you know that you're really our inheritor? Ephesians one thirteen says, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so you want to have the assurance that that inheritance is there you have the spirit of God you have the spirit of son of the Son living within you you know we have such a great need to be assured that we are beloved by God that we are special that we're not some number you know some kind of insignificant thing and we hunger for the reality that we are beloved people, that God looks at us and he cares for us. And it was interesting this past week with with the Pope coming to the National uh, Mall and he went to the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception and he's in this Pope Mobile and as he's going through these dense crowds, it said people looked or locked in the dense crowds. They locked, they cried, they snapped photos and bragged with certainty that he locked eyes with them as he rolled along in the pope mobile that he locked his eye on them you know it was interesting he saw me he noticed me he took consideration of me this me now i can tell you that this is a humble pope and he would say i'm not all that <laughs> but the reality is You have a God who never takes his eyes off of you. The scriptures tell us that you're the apple of his eye. That you are his special treasure, his treasured possession. That he thinks about you all the time. You have his full affections. And how do you know that? How do you know that? (laughs) Well, Jesus says, I have returned to my father and your father. And those words that Jesus heard when, when he was baptized and on the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice of God came from heaven and he said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Those are the same words that God shouts from heaven to you. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you I am well pleased. You've embraced my son. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you I am well pleased. I love you that much. Don't forget this, and the Spirit reminds us of this. Now You might be here, you might be a seeker, you might be a skeptic, you might be an unbeliever, and somehow you, you're here because you're, you're trying to find something that's not, you're not, things aren't working for you. So I'm asking you this question, and I'm glad that you're here, and I hope you keep coming back. But here's a question, how is your joy? Where is your joy? Are you tired of living and feeling like an orphan Are you tired of feeling like it's all up to you, that you really are alone in the world, and that while you tell yourself you're free and you're liberated, you're really fighting the voices that you are what you produce, you are how good-looking you are, how smart you are, how much wealth you have. You're working harder but enjoying less. And so you long to hear that voice. You are my beloved. With you, I'm well pleased. Well, you can have that voice. You can have the reality of that by embracing Christ, by confessing to Christ that I need a savior. I cannot save myself. And when you do that, he promises you the spirit of his son. And struggling believer, you ask, why isn't the spirit doing his job? Because I'm just not feeling it. You know, it's the spirit's job to make me feel like a son and beloved daughter, right? That's the spirit's job. And but I'm just not feeling it. So what's going on? I was talking to the Lord about that last night. You know, you want, you want this spirit of adoption, you know, and you say, well, just hit me with the spirit. Here I am. Do your job. Well, you know, sometimes the spirit, God will work that way. I mean, he'll just surprise you, not expecting anything, and all of a sudden he just you know, comes in full force and you're knocked out, okay? I mean, there are occasions like that. But the normal way is by our participation. Do not get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And that's a command. He's commanding believers to do something, to be filled with the Spirit. And then he tells us, Some parts of some actions that we do. Speak to one another with hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks. These are active things that we're commanded to do. And this is why, saint, that when you don't feel like coming to worship, and you're exhausted with life, and you feel like God is distant, and you have nothing good to say, but you decide, I'm coming to worship anyhow, and then you are grateful that you did come, what was happening there? Because you put yourself in the means of grace, you put yourself in a community of grace, and God met you. You were obedient by seeking the filling of his spirit, and by doing that, he meets you, and he does fill you. And the same thing with in Colossians, that has a parallel passage, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so it takes our disciplines, spiritual disciplines to engage the spirit and to let the word dwell in us Richly. It takes work. I had a, this is a journal, part of a journal entry back in 1999. Woke up in the middle of the night. I'll read a portion of it. Father, I should be asleep, but I am awakened again by the familiar murmurs of insecurity which robbed me of rest. My soul battles the feelings of envy, jealousy, Pride of those who gain the adulation of others. How wicked is my heart. It says, I must rise. I must dominate. I must be the greatest. Father, you have already made me great. You adopted me from the foundations of the earth to be your child. You have set me in the heavenly realms. You have given me gifts and a place in your kingdom that is just for me. I can descend into obscurity, but the more I am humble, the higher you lift me up. It takes work to fight for your joy and to fight for your security in God. Uh, I've given out in the foyer this thing is called the Orphan Chart. Uh, This is a great little diagnostic help to help you to see where you're kind of moving towards an orphan mentality and when you're into a sonship and where you're blended. It's really good. And then on the back of it is how shall we fight for joy? And this is of article or some steps, encouragements by John Piper. You know, here's one. Realize that joy must be fought for relentlessly. Resolve to attack all known sin in your life. If there's like an engagement of sin, yeah, you shouldn't have that experience of joy. Learn the secret of gutsy guilt. uh, How to fight like a justified sinner. Uh, This is all important. Realize that the battle is primarily a fight to see God for who he is. Meditate on the word day. Now, these are just a few of the things. It's a good resource for you. So, love son and daughter. Fight for your joy. Fight for the reality of the spirit that you have been given. You have been given the spirit of the son who has adopted you into this family. You have an inheritance. You have the blessed love of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this... uh, passage that reminds us of our, not just our status as sons, but the experience of being sons. Lord, help us to fight for that joy. Uh, Lord, we recognize there are so many forces that seek to discourage our hearts, to depress us, to kill us in that area. We ask that you would help us to be a community of grace that just celebrates and encourages uh, that movement of of sonship in our midst, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's let's stand together. Did you want to do something? Are you still here? There it is. All right, I'm just gonna give you a blessing. You know, hey, by the way, a blessing. You know, the, you know, at the end of a service, what is all this? This benediction. It means blessing. And I'm just an agent, and we find this in the scriptures where God's uh, representative agents are extending God's blessing. He wants you to feel the blessing. And so, may the love of God the Father, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and may the presence and the love of the Holy Spirit be with each of you now and forevermore. Amen.